You know, every once in a while you hear something on the radio that grabs your attention, something different that speaks right to some of the thoughts that you've had in the back of your mind for a long time. Well, folks, this is that show. It's called Growing Bolder. I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer. And you know, none of us are getting any younger. So what about those things you've always wanted to do? What happened to the kind of life you always wanted to live? This is the program that proves it's never too late and that no matter what your situation is, there's always something you can do to start growing bolder. Right, you are, Mark. And on this program, you will hear from one of the most powerful and successful men in the audience industry today, and you'll be surprised to find out he's in his 80s. You'll also meet the personal trainer and nutritionist of the stars, and she'll tell us about three things you have to add to your diet if you really want to lose weight. We'll hear from the guy who wrote Sanford and Sons and the Munsters and find out why he can't get his new shows on today. And we'll hear the incredible story of one of the leading advocates in support of organ donation. And that's what we call Growing Bold. We always talk about how badly we need great leaders, but would you know one if you saw one? If you had to hire somebody to take over GM or Ford or Chrysler, what would you look for? The right answer may not be as obvious as you think, but it could take decades to recover if you make the wrong answer. Boy, great point, Bill. And we're going to find out right now what makes a great business leader by asking one of the greatest from the past 50 years. He's the guy responsible for the Pontiac GTO, the Chevy Camaro, the Dodge Viper, and most recently the fuel-efficient Chevy Volt, which is the most awarded car in automotive history. He's 81 years old, still working, and has never been afraid to speak his mind. His latest book is on leaders that he's known and worked with. It's called Icons and Idiots, Straight Talk About Leadership. And there is no doubt we will get some straight talk right now from the iconic Bob Lutz. Hey, Bob, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. You guys well, too, I hope. Well, we're doing great, and it's good good to have you back on the program. And obviously, we booked you because we want to talk about your book, but we're a couple of former news guys. We would be remiss if we didn't talk to you about news you have been making lately because Reuters is now reporting that you are working with China's largest auto parts supplier to make an offer on Fisker, which is, of course, the, the, the electric car builder that is in financial trouble. Can you confirm that? Uh, no, I can't, and it's uh, for strictly legal reasons, I'm afraid. So I really have to say no comment on that. It could have all kinds of nasty legal consequences if I confirmed or denied. All right. Well, let's talk very briefly then about Destino, because you launched that at the Detroit Auto Show uh, this year, which is basically a a karma shell on a 638-horsepower powertrain from a Corvette ZR1. uh, Reportedly will sell for $180,000. What's the latest with that? Well, uh, we've got two running cars, and so far they're good. um, The issues that we're still developing is getting the, the Fisker parts of the software, you know, the air conditioning system, the, uh, the in-car entertainment system, the instrument panel, et cetera, et cetera, getting that to talk to the GM software, which is the engine control unit, the transmission control unit, uh, the uh, stability control system, et cetera. They're two different software generations, and really the biggest issue now is getting this all integrated so that it's a whole car. If this were 1960, uh, the car would be finished and it would be on the road. But unfortunately, nowadays, uh, cars are basically rolling computers with a few mechanical parts. So, But we're still on schedule. We, we still hope to produce the first cars for customers uh, by this fall. Gee, Bob, I'm, I'm sorry. I, my, Mark, I apologize. I guess we're talking. I thought you said this guy was in his 80s. And, <laughs> and here we're talking about a guy developing new technologies, oh new God. cars, still involved in the automotive industry is at the highest levels. Well, what's with you, Bob Lutz? Well, I think I matured very late. You know, my, my, my voice changed late. Maturity came late. Uh, I, I seem to I seem to lag everybody else by about 10 or 15. I graduated from high school at age 22. You know, I think I'm a, I'm a so-called late bloomer. Physically, I feel like 
probably better than most 60-year-olds. You, you know, it's just great to have you on. We could talk to you about so many things. Uh, you know, we mentioned the Volta, uh, a car that you are primarily responsible for, which has really just exploded. And, and, and you now are actually taking a, a position that a, a lot of people are going to find uh, a, a, l- a little bit threatening. You, in fact, want to see gas prices go up. You'd love to see them to, at six or seven bucks a gallon. You want gas taxes to go up. Why is well, that? Listen, I, I don't want I don't want it to occur suddenly. But I would remind I always remind people back when gas was about a buck twenty five, I think I was with Ford or Chrysler and uh, we subscribed to a survey and we asked people at what point uh, of gas prices would you stop driving? The answer was three dollars. And you know, everybody took that as gospel and said, well, when it reaches $3, people are going to stop driving. Now we're at $4, and people are still driving. So uh, it, has to, it would have to be done gradually. And my, my, my thing would be, you know, a gradual $0.25 cent a year rise, which would, would not introduce a shock to the public uh, or to the automotive industry. But uh, let's face it, that's not going to happen. It is, it is $8 a gallon in Europe, and people are happily driving. Uh, of course, they drive a lot of smaller cars, and they drive a lot of diesels. But uh, Europe is as mobile as the United States at 8 to $9 gasoline. You know, there's only one thing you can ask a guy in favor of higher gas prices or looking forward to them. Sir, are you an icon or an idiot when it comes to being a leader? Uh, who me? I'm a little. I'm a little of both, and that's really the charming part about the book is uh, that it isn't some people are icons and other people are idiots. So what I do is examine the people I've worked under or been under, like my high school teacher or my drill instructor in the Marine Corps, and I identify the iconic, uh, positive leadership traits that made them successful as leaders. But I also point out a lot of the quirks and foibles and strange behavior and oddities that very often go with uh, very successful leaders. So very successful leaders are often somewhat strange people. I mean, just, just look at Steve Jobs, for instance. Is there a uh, one single personality characteristic or quality, Bob, that, that, that you think is most important to have if you, if you aspire uh, to be a great leader? The most important single quality, that, and it's kind of the sine qua non, you know, it's like asking what's the important thing in a, in a the most important thing in an automobile. Uh, the answer in automobiles is quality, because without quality, nothing else matters. So that's sort of the, the price of entry. And in leadership, that same thing is integrity. If a leader does not possess bone-deep integrity, then all of the other leadership skills, and we see that a lot, frankly, unfortunately, uh, that there are people with leadership skills, they're, they're brilliant communicators, they can paint a vision, they know how to influence people, they know how to get things done, but they're crooks. Um, so the whole thing is for naught. So the uh, integrity and honesty is, is the most important single quality. That's the foundation on which everything else is built. And really interesting in your book, nearly everybody that you write about, maybe with the exception of GM CEO Rick Wagner, had major, sometimes hilarious, but major character flaws. Does, does leadership mess you up, or do, you, do messed up people make good leaders? I, I think it's, it's a little of both. And I, I think if you're too odd, uh, you're probably <laughs> you're probably not going to survive to become a leader. But some of it is what I call CEO syndrome. A lot of people, when they get the top job, they think, "Wow, now I've got the top job, and I want people to realize that I am powerful." And then they engage in this um, in this weird behavior as a sort of to make other people jump or to show that they can get away with stuff that other people can. Uh, but CEO disease is something that I've seen in my life a number of times. And it's, uh, they sort of get into this uh, imperial, uh, imperial mode where uh, they want the red carpet, they want their favorite wine on the company airplane, et cetera, et cetera. And then they get upset when the minions don't perform adequately. 
You know, Bob, GM is one of the companies that seems to be doing better lately, and a lot of people attribute that to their CEO, Dan Akerson. And it's kind of interesting that the only cut against him that I've read is people say, well, you know, he's 60 now. He's too old to lead the company into the, you know, into the future. Didn't Chrysler make the same mistake with a guy named Bob Lutz when he turned 65? <laughs> I don't think anybody is. If, if, a, if a person is uh, mentally agile, healthy, um, able to withstand the rigors of travel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, let's face it, some people are old and worn out at 48, and other people are youthful, energetic, uh, full of initiative, et cetera, et cetera, well into their 70s and 80s. But, you know, we have a mandatory retirement age. I think it's a mistake, and uh, I don't think, for instance, Alan Mulally at Ford uh, is not going to retire at 65. And why should he? Um, I, I think this mandatory retirement age business is nonsense. You should look at the individual, and he should look at himself, or he or she, look at themselves and say, can I handle the stress? Can I, can I continue in this for another so many years? Uh, if the answer is yes, and the board of directors agrees that this person has still got it, then why send them home at 65? Amen. Bob, I get the sense that uh, you pretty much are who you are, and you don't do a lot of thinking that, 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 to, to self-motivate. But in the final 15, 20 seconds, g- give, us, give us a nugget of information uh, about continuing to be significant uh, as we age. And never tell yourself you're too old to start something new. Don't tell yourself it's over, I'm in the last inning, I may as well relax. Uh, just behave as if there is no last inning. Just behave as if you're going to live to 150, start new things, learn new skills, get a new hobby, et cetera, et cetera. That'll keep you young and vibrant. It's one thing to say it and another thing to do it. And Bob, no one alive has had a bigger impact on the auto industry than you have. No one has more experience or knowledge about leadership. And we thank you for your courage and speaking your mind. And this book is a great read, Idiots and Icons, Straight Talk About Leadership, Always great to visit with Bob Lutz. Thank you, and great good luck. We're going to be keeping an eye on Fisker to see what's up with that. Up next, looking back at the life of a World War II hero, how what happened to him at D-Day shaped the way he lived the rest of his life. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton here on Growing Boulder, and here's a stat for you folks. Every single day, over 600 veterans who served in World War II pass away. You know, it's not going to be long before they're all gone, and that's going to be a huge loss. The stories they have to tell of their experience, their patriotism, and the lessons they learned are unique, astonishing, and inspirational. Our lives today really are so much different than theirs were. They paid quite a price for what we enjoy. We need to listen to what these guys have to say, Mark. Yeah, Bill Coleman is one of those uh, guys that uh, that Bill's talking about. He was really one of the most inspirational people we ever met. Larger than life, always had a commanding presence. He was so strong, steady, and dignified that we really thought he might live forever. Sadly, though, Bill passed away at 87, but his stories, his perspective, and his example are well worth remembering. Here now is our final conversation with Bill Coleman. When you were growing up, if you would have met somebody 86 years old... I would have been amazed. That would have been something else. But look at what you've done. Well, it has a lot to do with how you look at life. His life has been nothing short of an adventure. He was part of the D-Day invasion in the famed 506 Parachute Regiment, 101st Airborne the same division that inspired the HBO series Band of Brothers. He was still a teen on June 6, 1944, when he jumped out over France, and things went wrong from the instant his chute flew open. This was so intense 
that it threw my guns out of my hands and my helmet off. And that was tight, I couldn't even chew, and it snapped it. And you always have an opening shock, but, and so my contention was that we were doing far in excess of what the speed was, that we were, we were supposed to jump out about 100 miles an hour. And I bet you he was doing 200 minimum, because he just don't have that kind of a shock unless something like that happens. Then he was wounded twice before he ever hit the ground. Well, I got hit coming down. Yeah, and I didn't even know that, you know. Now, that's, adrenaline does a lot of crazy things to you, I guess. He eventually caught up with four other paratroopers, but it wasn't long before they were ambushed by German soldiers. Two of his group were killed, two wounded, and he was taken prisoner. But Coleman knew full well what Germans did with prisoners. These guys are going to kill me. I wonder what it's going to feel like. And, and, and just thinking, well, boy, mom and dad are going to be upset. And, and, and these things flash in your mind and you're not really sure. I don't know how many people had uh, somebody standing by that you knew they were gonna, that their job was to execute you. And, and they were taking a long time to get to it. And that, that so we just, if you've got to do it, let's do it. Get it over with. And, instead of having the anxiety of uh, trying to figure out what it's going to be like. Coleman was saved only because Hitler ordered all American prisoners paraded down the Champs-Élysées as propaganda. From there, he was sent to three prisoner camps before escaping to freedom. If one of those incidents would have turned out differently and you would have been left over there, would it have been enough to say that you gave your life for your country? For me? Oh, yeah. I, I totally intended to. Yeah, I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be sure that my mom and dad and brothers and sisters continue to live the good life that the United States offers. So I was willing to die for that, yeah. And I, and I think a lot of them were. You're so calm and understanding. I, I think if I went through what you did, I would be so frustrated and so angry at people who waste what it is that you fought for them to have. People who waste freedom, waste their lives, but, well, yeah, have but, no ambition. But see, that's my view, but it may not be their view. And, and, and who am I to impose my view on them? Uh, everybody's got to, I, I think they don't spend enough time contemplating what they're going to do or what life's going to be ahead of me. He sure made the most of his. After the war, I mean, you've been everything. You've been, what, a politician? Yeah. What else? Uh, well, CEO? Yeah, and a pilot. And, a pilot? And uh, an entrepreneur? Yeah. A board member? How many, how many boards have you? Oh, probably a hundred over the years. You worked for the police department? Yeah. Yeah, but every one of those are a, a contributor to me. I got something out of every one of them I went into. Uh, I found out a lot about the police department with that uh, being a part of that. Uh, the inside workings and, and the problems that they have and the things they've got to overcome to do a better job. But first you have to be curious about life. I think so. Right? I think so. Uh, if you just think, well, I'm here to get what I can out of it and then the IDOs, you're not going to have a very pleasant life. But if you, if you say, what, is, what can I do that will make me feel better and help somebody. And, and there's a lot of it out there. Man, there's more stuff out there that you could get involved with than you can imagine. Coleman feels an obligation to be as involved as possible. It's a vow he made when he survived, despite the fact half of his division did not. He's saddened that so few today take an active role in shaping their own communities. It's a lesson he'd like to pass along so that others don't have to go to war to learn it. And maybe that, Bill, maybe that's the difference in the generations. Maybe. The, the I, desire to want to make a difference. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, that's a good, good way to go at it. I think that's true. And, and I hope that you broadcast that every time you get a chance, the desire to try to make a difference. And through it all, making a difference is what's made his life worthwhile. I've been so grateful to have been born when I was and by the parents that I had and the life that I've had growing up. There have been valleys and peaks, and there will be, everybody. I don't know anybody that starts out on top and stays there for his whole life. 
unless it's a gold spoon in his mouth. And but that doesn't make you happy. You, if you don't if you don't earn what you've got, you don't enjoy it as much. At 86, Coleman knows his time is running out. It's why he's always willing to pull on the old uniform, which still fits, and tell his stories to those of us willing to listen to the wisdom of the greatest generation. Boy, Bill, when you said those of us willing to listen, if only more of us would listen to guys like Bill Coleman, what a great example of dealing with whatever came his way, facing challenges head on, and living a life filled with purpose. He did live a productive life of 87 years, and hopefully his legacy will have an influence for even longer. Yeah, Mark, wasn't it interesting how out of all the things he went through and saw and experienced, he said for him the true purpose of life was making a difference, and that's a lesson we can all learn. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life where everything's going normal, but for some reason you wake up and you say, I just can't do this anymore? You know, maybe it's a relationship that isn't working, or maybe it's work that's not working. You know, Bill, I think that's a common human experience, something we all go through. But what do you do when that happens, folks? Basically, as we see it, you've got two choices. You can just let it go, you can put it out of your mind and continue to watch your life go by, or... You can stand up. You can take a good hard look and take control of what's bothering you. Are you willing to fight for your relationship, to bring back the luster, to become a better partner, to put the time and effort into reigniting the spark that you used to have? Yeah, taking control, that's that's really the key, isn't it, Mark? Because what about at work? Because that's where we all point fingers everywhere. But just for a minute, point that finger at yourself. Do you bring the right attitude with you in the morning? Do you have any energy? Do you offer up ideas? Well, figure out what it is that's really bothering you. Find a way to go about making some positive changes. And in a lot of cases, you'll find that you can do this on your own. You don't need to talk to anybody. You don't need to take any risks other than deciding to take control of yourself. Yeah, good point. Here's the the problem. You can't help but feel trapped when you feel powerless. So don't give somebody else the power. Don't just go along for the ride. Take control of your attitude and ultimately your life. Up next, her little sister was dying of kidney disease and she said, yeah, I'll donate mine. But she started to panic when she thought more about it. Find out what made everything change for the reluctant donor. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit GrowingBoulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Hey, you're listening to Growing Bolder with Mark and Bill, and we are facing a crisis in this country you don't hear much about. We have the technology and the ability to save many, many lives with organ transplants, but the truth is many, many die waiting for organs that never come. A survey shows that a huge majority in this country say they'll allow theirs to be donated, but actually only a small fraction sign that card that make it happen. Yeah, so where is the disconnect? What stops us? Is it fear? Is it procrastination? Well, our next guest says yes and yes and a whole lot more. In fact, she's written a book about her fears and her overwhelming ordeal. It's one of the best books ever on this topic, devastating at some points, hilarious at others, as she volunteers to save her sister, only to have second thoughts all the way to the operating room. Let's meet one of the nation's leading advocates of organ donation and the author of the book, The Reluctant Donor, Suzanne Ruff. Hey, Suzanne, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, we understand you're on the road. Uh, where Where are you this morning? I am at Capitol Hill right now, um, ready. I have a appointment in an hour to see, or two hours, to see my senator and to talk about just the topic you're talking about, NPKD disease, polycystic kidney disease. Amen. Well, let's start there, because your story is incredible on so many counts, and it all does come back to what really is a fairly widespread but seldom discussed ailment called polycystic kidney disease. What is that? 
It is one of the most common life-threatening genetic diseases, um, and it is a disease that affects the kidneys. It, many, poly means many, many cysts grow and eventually choke the kidney, causing it to fail. There's a, a dominant and recessive form of the disease. The dominant form is what my family has. One in 500 people have it, and yet no one knows what PKD is. And that's why I wrote the book. I was tired of people saying, PK what? You know, you have a number of people in your own family that have it, even your own little sister. And, of course, when the time came, you said, yeah, I'll donate my kidney. And then what happened? You, you panicked? Yes. I Actually, my mother and both of my sisters have PKD, and it seemed as though all the people I loved most have the disease. And I am a lot like the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz. Actually, I'm exactly like the cowardly lion. And I blurted out that I would give her one of my kidneys when she collapsed with the disease. And um, as soon as I told her I would give her one, I said to myself, what did I just say? Why did I say that? I I just didn't think I could eventually go through it, but I blurted it out to her. And I didn't like her very much either at the time. (laughs) You know, isn't it amazing that, that, that so often the people that have the most trouble with something become the biggest advocates for that, you know, uh, which is really your story. Uh, and it is one thing to decide to donate, say, your heart or your lungs after you're dead. Uh, but I'm guessing there's not a lot of folks up there out there that are lining up to give away a kidney while they're still alive. Well, you're, you hit the nail on the head. I, I would never believe I'd be here on Capitol Hill and be speaking to the number of people I've told our family story too and yes I know that I wouldn't have wouldn't be the one that was here and in my position if I hadn't seen how far we've progressed in the world of organ donation and transplantation in 1948 my grandmother who I was named after and I never met she died before I was born was told there was nothing that they could do for her the doctors said that her kidneys were failing and they couldn't help her and, and she had six children. Our mother was the youngest. My mother was a teenager at the time. And with the five of the six children inherited polycystic kidney disease. And with the death of each of those siblings, my mother had an amazing family. Science learned something to get me where we are today. And I'm the only one in my family that did not inherit the disease. And that carries incredible personal responsibility. And Suzanne, it says a lot about you that you're the one taking this fight all the way to Capitol Hill. But what can government do? What what can what do you hope happens now? What are you fighting for? Well, it, when the laws for um, transplantation were passed, um, the medication costs um, so much money for the recipient. And there's a bill right now before um, Congress to promote the coverage of the the anti-rejection drugs the recipient has to take for the rest of their life. And I'm passionate about it because many people lose a transplant because they can't afford their medication. And then they go back on dialysis, which is covered by Medicare, and that costs more than the drugs over the long term. So it's like a common sense, but a law that needs to be adjusted and and somebody needs to look at it because as a living donor, to have laid down my life for my sister and then to have her, she does take her medicine every day because I'd haunt her if she didn't. Mm-hmm. But if to have someone lay down their life for someone else and then have them lose the kidney, I have a sentence in my book, Kidneys Don't Grow on Trees. There's over 90,000 people on the waiting list for a kidney transplant today. So I'm passionate about common sense in, and for obviously for a cure for polycystic kidney disease. So when organ donation is a difficult subject to talk about, but it's my other sister received a kidney and my mother received a kidney from two people deceased. Who, and that's, to me, the greatest gift you can give to your fellow man in the event of a sudden or unexpected death. I don't think everyone should run out and be a living donor, but I do hope people consider organ donation. It's, it's truly um, a magnanimous gift. 
Suzanne, in our final 30 seconds here, you obviously are attacking this from all angles. You're on Capitol Hill today. Uh, you've written a book. You're on the radio show with Mark and Bill. You know, you know give us your best 20-second takeaway, your best te- pep talk. What do you want us to know? I want you to know that you are more likely to know someone who needs a transplant than to know someone who's from a donor family or who is a donor because there are not enough donors, and you are more likely to know someone who needs one, and it might be you or your loved one someday. And it's an incredible gift in the event of a sudden or unexpected death, as I keep saying over and over. We, we, none of us are promised tomorrow, and I want the number one thing for everyone to do today is to cherish life. It's a gift. Well, Suzanne, not only are you doing your family a big favor. You're doing all of us a big favor because you never know who's going to be afflicted by not just this disease, but any kind of illness or accident or injury that necessitates an organ. The book is called The Reluctant Donor. Read it, folks. You'll never feel the same way about organ donation again. Our thanks to Suzanne Ruff for her example and her inspiration. Up next, a very successful TV comedy writer gets a great idea for a new series, but nobody will listen because he's too old. Do you ever get too old to be funny? We'll find out. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Hi, folks. I'm Mark Middleton. That guy over there is Billy Schaefer. And this, of course, is Growing Bolder. And you know the format. We talk about the benefits of following your dream. Anything is possible. However... When it involves Hollywood, well, that can be a tough ticket. We're going to meet a man whose dream has always been to write, a comedian who knew his stuff and knew he could do it, and boy, did he ever. He sure did. He wrote for the Munsters, Smothers Brothers, Jonathan Winters, Hollywood Square, Sanford and Son, It's Gary Shandling Show. This guy was a hot ticket in Hollywood, but... That was then. Now it's tough for him to get a ticket on the bus tour. He believes that age is a big part of the reason why. Could it be? Let's find out more from Ted Bergman. Ted, how are you? So far, so good, guys. Listen, listen. We'll you... see you at the end of this segment how I am. <laughs> My friend, you were almost a writing superstar. You almost won an Emmy. You almost got your own show on the air, and you almost did really well for yourself. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, good quarterbacks that never made it to the Super Bowl, so they say. And, and with all of that, I mean, given everything that you've done, I mean, it sounds like a great career. So why can't you get anybody to return your phone calls these days? What happened? Well, what happened is is that um, by the time I got to, oh, say, mid-50s, I wasn't an executive producer like, uh, like say, a Norman Lear or somebody like that, um, I always just wanted to write the jokes. And um, what happens is, I believe, is there's a perception in Hollywood that older writers aren't, um, you know, contemporary. They don't know what's happening. Um, uh, they can't write for the younger crowd, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, um, my attitude to that is, listen, if John McCain, a guy in – his 70s can run for president of the United States. Why can't I be trusted to write a joke? You know, I mean, it doesn't make any much sense. And Ted, but uh, that, yeah, that's the way it is. It's such a bizarre way to think. I mean, you know, about Mel Brooks is out there. Everybody loves Mel Brooks. Sure. Woody Allen, you know, his movies uh, sell like crazy. There's so many funny people that are, you know, over the age of 50, 60, 70. How can people still think that? Well, they do. Uh, you know, if I knew how, I would be out there right now. Um, but, you know, what you have to do is uh, you just have to begin to market yourself. And, you know, part of that is talking to you guys and letting people know I'm out there and that I have projects. And um, I, I think 
it used to be, it used to be back in the 60s and 70s when I broke in, if you wanted to get into the business, you had to know somebody. You know, I had an aunt who worked at Universal, and that's how I got my first television script, The Munsters. Nowadays, it's a whole different ballgame in that now with the Internet, it's not as much who you know as who knows you. So your ideas, your premises uh, are just a click away from literally everybody around the world if you can learn how to do that. And um, this is all part of that. Um, you know, I can't knock on the, I can't walk into any network like I was able to 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I was on the A-list with every network in, in town. Uh, now I really don't know anybody in the business anymore. So I have to rely on guys like you, and you help me make my voice heard uh, and everywhere else pretty much that way. You know, it really is a shame that the material can't stand on its own. We've had people on this program tell us that, you know, if I have an idea and, and I want to submit it, I get someone else younger to submit it so that they'll, they'll at least look <laughs> at it. You know, you know, Bill mentioned you've got a great idea for a new series. Nobody's listening to you. Go ahead and ma- ma- make your pitch, Ted. What's it about? Well, I, I would guess that probably 75% of your listeners out there uh, have a dog and cat in their home. And I've been a a dog lover and a cat lover my whole life. Um, And a couple of years ago, I got an idea for a website um, about dogs and cats and put it up and realized, wow, boy, am I in the soup here because there's literally thousands of them, more than that. And then I thought, you know what, what isn't happening is there isn't a a television show out there. And I'm not talking about a cable show or a dog training show or National Geographic. I'm talking about an old-time, fashioned, but funny, hour-long, celebrity-hosted dog and cat comedy TV show. You know, a show that, that crosses... Uh, generational lines, uh, racial lines, political lines, international boundaries, where a show that basically is Saturday Night Live for dogs and cats and could bring the whole family back around the TV set again. So that's basically what it is, a a series that celebrates our love uh, and the laughter that these animals bring us, everything from sketches to to going out and doing segments, everything from really fun, silly things like fraternity and sorority, uh, cats and dog mascots, to finding out how explosive dogs, uh, sniffing dogs, are trained. Um, And the win-win situation is it's structured to raise money for dog and cat and pet-related charities at the same time. Um, One of the unique ideas I think I have is that during the course of the show, we are going to create our own uh, TV video movie. Now, you, you, you guys have seen America's Funniest Home Videos. The most popular segment in there is the dog and cat little snippets. But what we would do is we would say, all right, here is the story. The story is called Good Dog to Slum Dog, and it's about Daisy who gets left at a truck stop by her family and winds up in a shelter and then breaks out with her new boyfriend, and they go on to release oppressed dogs in puppy farms, etc., etc. And we can have our audience, we can post a shot list, we can post casting notices, and have people around the world send in their video clips we got some great editors on staff, great writers on staff, and with a basket full of lawyers <laughs> to make sure everybody gets credit and everything else. At the end of the season, we have a movie, um, you know, maybe a 90-minute video movie that's submitted by people around the world. And we can honestly say that that movie and a significant amount of it profits will go toward, the money will go towards, you know, these charities, you know, search and rescue people, uh, adoption agencies, all kinds of uh, charities that will help the lives, better the lives of these dogs and cats. So it's a win-win-win situation all the way around. And you can, you can hear from this guy, Ted, is this is not shtick. This is something he really wants to do. He's got the pet. How old are you, Ted? I'm 73. 73. You sound young. You got young ideas. The website is Dogs and Cats. Go to Hollywood.com. Give it a look. And by the way, Google Ted Bergman one day, and you'll see that this guy's contributed a lot to the golden days of TV. Ted, keep fighting the fight, and good luck to you, brother. Ted Bergman. (laughs) 
Up next, if you're struggling to lose some weight, we'll talk to Dr. Oz's go-to trainer for the three nutrients that will give you a boost in losing the weight you want. This is Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. Listening to Growing Boulder, I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. And why does it seem that whenever we talk about diet and exercise, that it's always some new fad or supplement or piece of equipment? So many of these things come roaring in only to fade away and never be heard from again. And that's why it's so important to get your advice from someone who's been there through it all. And that's what we have for you now. Yeah, she is an elite trainer. She's a performance nutritionist and a physical therapist. She's also a regular on the Dr. Oz show. Martha Stewart says she is the only trainer that's ever really made a difference for her. And she's not really about losing weight. She's about losing weight and gaining muscle muscle, energy, and health. So let's welcome one of the hottest weight loss and performance experts in the entire country today, Miss Lisa Lynn. Hey, Lisa, how are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much. That was, wow. You are awesome. You got that. Humbling, though. That, that part of it, right. You, you know, we talk to people every day that want to do more. You know, we're like that television commercial, we want more. We're, we're, <laughs> we're at this age, we realize we can be anything we want, uh, but we're starting to fall apart to some degree. It's almost an epidemic that some call boomeritis. What do we need to know uh, about that condition, and how can we avoid it? This is actually really good news because people think that they have to kill themselves in the gym or that they have to spend countless hours killing themselves on workouts like insanity or insane workouts, I should say. And the truth is overworking out actually stops more people from seeing results than you think. What? So boomeritis is people trying to overdo it, getting hurt, and not being able to continue their fitness programs. Did, a- amen. I love that. Did she, Mark? Did she just say that too much exercise is as bad as not <laughs> yep. enough? Is that for real? You know what I think? Because I have so many people who are like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not doing the crazy thing three hours a day. But what I've learned working with professionals, they don't train like that. They train smarter, not harder. All right. So listen, when we get to where we're balancing exercise and nutrition and exercise and nutrition, which comes first? Nutrition. Really. Believe it or not, because if you're eating correctly, you don't feel the need to overexercise and burn it off in the gym. And just for the record, that doesn't work anyway. So I have a couple really big tricks up my sleeve. Like, so how do I get these people to eat healthy? And the number one thing I stick in people's hands is phase two white kidney bean extract. What the heck is that? Well, everybody really needs to have it, to tell you the truth, because what it does is phase two white kidney bean extract, and you may have heard me talk about this on Dr. Oz, actually stops the enzymes that digest starch. So you will actually, it will block up to 65% of the carbohydrates you eat or the unwanted carbs. Who doesn't want that? And what form do you take that in? I would definitely suggest take it in pill form and not trying to eat the beans because nobody will want to be around you, (laughs) and you can't take enough of those. But the reason I stick that in people's hands first is everybody's going to cheat at some point. It kind of gives you a safety net so that it doesn't end up around your waist. And if you're not overeating or the carbs aren't being absorbed, you don't have to overexercise, so it sets balance up right away. All right, so phase two white kidney bean extract, uh, and we do listen to you, is one of three miracle magic super nutrients that you recommend we take. What are the other two? It's your fat-melting medicine cabinet, I call it. The next one is called AHCC, or as I like to joke around, magic magic mushrooms, because uh, what these do, I tend to, every time I try to change my exercise program or turn it up, I'm one of those people that just gets sick too easy. I'm around a lot of people. I'm overtrained. And so I live on these because it turns up the dial on your immune system. And exercise can actually attack your immunity. So you want that extra support, making sure you can get up and exercise daily and, and stay on the track, so to speak. 
And what what did you say that is? AHCC? Is that another yeah, supplement? Yeah, that's, that's the name of it. And I like they're referred to as medicinal mushrooms. And this just turns up the dial safely. And, it, and all of these are research-backed. I don't use anything that's not research-backed, just for the record. And that's why Dr. Oz likes to talk about these things. And the third uh, tip is when it's time Become to Become a drinker in the morning. Right. You say get out of the way. <laughs> what you think, though. <laughs> whey protein shakes because whey also helps lower blood sugar if you drink it within 30 to 60 minutes in the morning. And most of us struggle with that fat because our blood sugar is too high. So it not only helps turn down that blood sugar, it'll boost your metabolism 25%. And most of the time it walks the carbohydrate breakfast away. Folks, we're talking to Lisa Lynn, uh, one of the hottest weight loss and performance experts in the world. And, and Lisa, just to hear your voice, A, either you're caffeinated or B, <laughs> you've got so much energy. Tell us it's the latter and tell us how you got it. How about both? I've been up exercising already today and I'm just, you know, I, ha- I love to help people. So th- this kind of stuff excites me. Where do we start? You know, I, I really love your philosophy about over-exercising and pacing yourself. Uh, you know, it's better to start something and, and maintain it than overdo it and not do it again. What are some simple exercises that you recommend we all can do uh, in order to get ourselves off the couch and, and start moving in the right direction? I love the plank because it strengthens just about everything on your body, but more specifically the core. And if you start there getting your core strong, you won't get hurt when you're exercising. You won't hurt your back. And so that should be the number one thing. Um, And then the second thing is walking. Set a timer, pick up the phone, walk 20 minutes away from your house, turn around and do 20 back. You got 40 and, and you didn't even have to go to the gym, which could take you 40 minutes back and forth. And I'm going to take you back again to your three magic nutrients. You know, if we take the kidney bean extract and the AHCC and, and drink the whey, that would be great for me for like the first 10 minutes. And then I'd need like a Snickers bar, a big thing of oatmeal, and some sugary breakfast cereal. You're like me. But you know what the truth is? The, when, you, when you feed yourself proper nutrients like the whey does that, um, I have to say it did change my life because I am one of the worst sugar cravers that I know. Like the minute I wake up, I want it. But if you don't feed that sugar monster, it can't grow larger. So you give your body some good nutrition. My whey happens to taste off the charts good because Martha Stewart was my taste tester. So it uh-huh. calls you to it like a Snickers bar. You know, Lisa, we look at almost everything on this program, at least, uh, you know, through the prism of, of aging America. Uh, there's more opportunity now beyond 40, 50, 60, even 90 and 100 to, to live active, vital lives. Uh, you know, the opportunity is there. The execution is lacking for, for many, many people. How, how, how does aging America affect your business and what you do? Can I tell you that I have an 86-year-old client who's been with me for 25 years, and he is better now than he was 25 years ago because he just continued to do the two most important things is um, you have to do some kind of cardio, so he walks in the woods every day with his dog. No, no killer stuff. And the second thing he does is lift the iron. It's that weight work that keeps your body the youngest the longest. And at 80, he's fitter than some of the 20-year-olds I have. And, you know, you raise a good point because most of us were, were led to believe years ago. You know, it was not long ago that, A, women couldn't exercise, uh, oh. uh, and, B, athletes couldn't lift weights. And now we're, we're learning that even people, elderly people can lift weights. You don't necessarily have to lose muscle mass as you grow older if you do the right kind of exercise, correct? You know what I love about fitness and what we're talking about? If you do it, it's guaranteed. If you do it right, it's guaranteed. And those two things we just talked about, every fitness program has to have to keep your bones strong. So there's a lot of people who just aren't, they're buying into the fads that are up up and down every day of the week. And these fads aren't going to bring you the results or the strengths your bones need. So no matter what else you're doing with fitness, you have to have a cardio component and you have to have a weightlifting component. Add those to your Zumba or whatever else you're doing. And now you got yourself a nice little fitness regime. She is a limitless source, a bottomless pit of great information, folks. If you'd like more information, you should read her blogs, and you can get more on her philosophy and her products at LynnFit, that's L-Y-N-N-Fit.com. Our thanks to Lisa Lynn. Thanks, Lisa. Well, Mark, I don't know how to tell you this, but... 
this is the end of the program. <laughs> but it's just the beginning of the process. If you enjoy these interviews, oh my gosh, what do we have, hundreds more? Along with exclusive, high-quality, unforgettable videos you've got to see, personal blogs, and more, that's all at our website, growingbolder.com. Yeah, and while you're there, also find out more about Growing Boulder TV, because there are some major changes afoot. We are trying, uh, against all odds, to put GBTV in every household in America. So stay in touch as we work very hard. We're trying to grow Boulder ourselves. And of course, you can subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine. Please check out GrowingBoulder.com and see what a difference it makes to surround yourself with encouragement instead of negativity. Until next time, I'm Mark Middleton, and that is Bill Schaefer. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing Boulder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. Crimson flames tied through my ears. fire and flaming road using ideas as my map we'll meet on edges soon said I Deceive me in-